All right, uh, welcome back to Canon Conversations. We're at number 25. Um, for this chat, I am joined by Lewis Von Jones. Um, Lewis is currently an assist, assistant coach at Dunkirk U18s. He's also an academy scout at Sheffield United. You are a U10 coach at Ruddington um, Football Club, if I said that right there, Lewis. Um, yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, you, and you also um, help out at Underwood Villa. I hope I got all that stuff right there, man. But Lewis, thanks for coming on and having this conversation with me. I appreciate it. No, no worries. Thanks for inviting me on. No worries, man. So we, we chatted a couple of minutes beforehand, but obviously I reached out to you through Twitter. Um, I've been kind of like following some coaches and I checked out your Twitter page. Um, and like I said to you, one of the things that kind of piqued my interest about you is that you, you had down there that you've, you're an academy scout at Chef United and that's an area of the game that I'd like to dive into a little bit. So we'll definitely get on to talk about that. Um, but I just wanted to start, um, start, mate, by asking you like, how did you first fall in love, uh, love sorry, with football? Like, where did it start um, and how did you get to where you're at now? So, <laughs> it's a long one, really. I mean, my family have always played football. Like, I kind of had no choice. I got brought into it. Um, and yeah. it's weird. One, one of my first games, and I can, quite, I can remember it uh, very well, I went to Forest v Bournemouth. Uh, this is about 2008, maybe. Decent. Red, Red Hot Summer's Day, I think it was last game of the season. It finished 0-0. Um, but it's just the memories of, you know, to go into the game with my dad. Um, first game, 30,000 people sell out. It, it just kind of sticks with you from there. Um, mm. I started playing football. Dad was, a, dad was my coach basically the whole time that I played. Um, so just for just through family, really. Um, and then Amazing. I just stuck with it. You just stuck with it. So where, where did you, like, did you play a lot when you were younger or was it more of an interest on the outside looking in? So I played, I played pretty much all my life as a kid, started about six years old. Um, stopped when I was about 17, really, which is pretty early, to be honest. Uh, yeah, I stopped when I was 19, so I wasn't far off, yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of, yeah. I, I wouldn't say I fell out of love with it, but the kind of the, the team I was in, like, it was a Sunday league side, and I kind of wanted to take it a bit more serious than what it was. Right. Um, but I, <laughs> I always knew I wasn't good enough to play Saturday, so... Um, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So I kind of yeah. kind of stopped, and that, that's kind of when I went into the coaching side of things a bit more. Oh, decent, man. I, I was a bit in the same boat. Like, um, I played till I was 19 just from my local club in Scotland, uh, North Berwick, and that was for the majority of time just with, like, pretty much all my mates, and other people kind of came and joined in. But we kind of stuck with that for most of the time, and I played until I was 19, but same as you, I, I wasn't good enough to ever progress past that that level or anything like that, and I wanted to stay in the game, so I just kind of uh, had a... Um, one of my mate's brothers like coached us, so he, he would drive he would drive me to, to training and stuff. And uh, he said to me one day coming home in the car that, um, you know, I've got a good brain for it, but my body isn't maybe doing what my head's saying type thing. And he, yeah, he, yeah. he, he kind of suggested to me to, look, you should maybe look into coaching because you're really passionate about it and, and you read the game relatively well. And I thought, you know what? He is right. Like, I, I do like it. I know that. So a similar boat, I, I kind of didn't stay along with the playing for a long time. Like, I've always jumped in and out and played like, you know, midweek, just like indoor stuff. I don't know if you've done much of that, but that's kind of all the playing I've done. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was never really one for five aside either. Like, you know, things like midweek games like that. I, I was kind of always preferred the 11 aside more. Yeah. Um, probably, I think I played once for the team I was at for the reserve side. But other than that, I just... I just, I just played for fun, really, to be honest. Um, yeah. And I got older and I thought, I kind of want to take this more seriously. Yeah, yeah, fair enough, man. Fair enough. I totally get that. So, so from just like being a fan and everything, like how did you start getting into the coaching then after you stopped playing? 
So I went to uni, uh, Nottingham Trent uh, at the time, and the requirement of that course was you need a certain, I think it was 40 hours um, coaching experience. Oh, cool. Um, so I started actually with my little cousin's team. I'm still with them now, actually. He doesn't play for them anymore, but I'm right. still there. Um, and then I advertised on Facebook basically saying I was looking for some coaching hours. And at the time, the under 18s I was with were under 14s, under 15s, sorry. And the manager was like, yeah, yeah, more than welcome to come down. And um, it ended up asking me to stay after the first session. Um, and I've been there ever since. But yeah, it was just from uni. I was doing coaching and sports science as a course at the time. Um, obviously, needed the experience. I never really thought about volunteering as a coach beforehand. So I thought I'll give it a go. Obviously, you need the work experience, and I just fell in love with it from there. Yeah, that's cool, man. Did you so like your original plan when you had to do the coaching? Like that was that necessarily in your head to like go as far as it has gone with the coaching, or was it just something that happened? No, it was just something that happened. I'd never really, you know, coached football in itself before. Like I'd obviously done things when you do coaching festivals at college and uni, but mm. I've never gone and coach a team so I thought well I've, I've got a background in football I'll give it a go obviously got to get the experience in and I just fell in love with it and it kind of clicked to me and thought I should have done this sooner right yeah one of those do, do you feel like the like what did the uni course give you because I never did like anything like that I kind of left school and just worked for a year didn't enjoy just regular kind of life of, of the working working life what I was doing um, and just kind of went straight out to America and just went straight to the coaching so what do you think the uni did for you to be honest, not a lot. I left right. after the I, le I, I, le I left after the first year because I, 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 the course wasn't what it was made out to be. So I was doing coaching and sports science, okay. and you think, well, the, you know, there's going to be a good mix of coaching and sports science in there. You think probably, you know, out of six modules, you're probably going to do three of each. There were six modules. One was coaching, the rest was classroom based. Mm. And I'm like, this, this isn't what I came here to do. Um, yeah, wasn't enjoying it, uh, and so I left, and I, I got an apprenticeship in the primary school after that. I know it's going a bit off topic, but no, yeah, go ahead. It's, probably, yeah. it's probably the best decision I ever made. Primary school took me on full time as a TA slash sports coach. And I absolutely love it. Probably the best decision that I ever made was actually dropping out and leaving uni. Yeah, that's that's quality, man. You just kind of made that decision and didn't look back. Like I, I went to America, same thing. And as soon as I got there, I was like, oh, yeah, this is, this is the right decision to come out here. And same thing as you just kind of got the bug for it and, and fell in love with it and did it for did it for about eight years in total. So I kind of, I totally get that. Um, so, so you, you left uni, you started going into that. How did you start getting into the other places then, such as like Dunkirk and everything? The Dunkirk was the one that I advertised on Facebook. They invited me down. Ah, Ruddington, okay. Yeah, Ruddington was my little cousin's team at the time. Ah. Uh, and then I was with them for about, what, two, three years. Mm. Uh, and then I, I had that bug where I wanted to kind of step up a level. You know, okay. I'd, done my, I'd done my level, well, I was in the process doing my level two, thanks to COVID. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I, I obviously, and then I thought, well, I want to step it up. So I ended up, um, at the time, I was on my level two course, and I met a lad on there, and he was looking to go into senior management as well. And so we both contacted a couple of clubs around Nottingham, um, mm. ended up going to Underwood. Okay. Um, good level, uh, first team play step seven, reserves play step eight. So it was a nice little starting point for us. Um, it wasn't a smooth start. Obviously, we agreed to do it in January. Then COVID hit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that got pulled. That was delayed for what five months, I think. Mm. Um, and then did my level two and went from there. Didn't really start. Underwood didn't really. I didn't really enjoy it there. Um, didn't probably have the best relationship with the guy that I went with. 
uh, I ended up leaving, um, but ended up going back with a new manager, and things are looking up. That's good. When you say when you said it's like the levels, like step seven, step eight, like what do you mean by that? So last um, last year, non-league steps. Oh, okay, okay, uh, okay. The, uh, the reserves, I uh, reserves at Underwood play central mids, Div one south. Mm, okay, um, so, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. So that's what are steps. the uh, for the first team in that, is that like, are guys getting like paid for that and everything? Or what's the deal? Like, how serious is it? Not at Underwood. Um, no, they're not okay. Gonna, I mean, Dunkirk, different story. Dunkirk, step six. Um, so that's a, de- that's a decent level. Okay. You're, talk- you're talking to, in fact, I'm telling a lie here. Um, <laughs> step six, yeah, you're talking two or three levels off of the uh, Northern Premier League level. Oh, okay, right, so okay. You, you know, you, you're getting paid, but you're not getting paid massive amounts. Yeah, yeah, all right, cool. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't really know the, like, excuse me, I um, I've just moved back, so I'm still learning like the Scottish kind of system as well with with in terms of that level. But I don't actually yeah. know anything, don't know anything about the English level. But I get, I get what you're saying, where, where it's kind of at, it's a couple of steps off. So that's a decent level, though, there, man. So do you do? So you're the assistant at at Dunkirk, so the 18. So like, yeah. how how have you found doing that and working with those ages? Because how old are you? I'm only twenty, so it's so you're um, only twenty, so you're yeah, working so, with same age kind of or close. Yeah, to so it, yeah, Dunkirk. You know, the first time that I came in, I think the first training session I had, they were under 15s. So I, at the time, was only 18. Mm. Um, they're 14, 15. You go in, and you know, automatically you're playing on your mind of like, well, why should these lads listen to me? I've not done anything in football. Mm. An 18 year old lads trying to tell them what to do. Why should they listen to me? But I'll be honest, they're probably the best bunch of lads I've ever coached. Honestly, oh, doubt. they just listen so well. They're so dedicated to the game, and it's just unbelievable how good of a squad they are. That are kind you... of set nerves a little bit. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Because I've never done that with. Uh, I never did that with like a, a men's team. But when I first went over to the states, I started coaching a, a high school team with my cousin. So at the time, I was nineteen. So like the the oldest kids were eighteen, right? So it was the same. It was the same thing, and. Uh, at first, I found it a bit weird, maybe different because it was girls as well, but a bit weird just to like work out, like to find that like relationship with people your age, like you say. Because if I was an 18 year old and someone a year older than me was telling me things, I probably wouldn't necessarily pay attention all the time. But that's good that it seemed like for you that it kind of smoothly kind of was, was all right and you've had no issues with it. No, yeah, they're, they're a good team. I mean, we're taking them into the where they're basically going from the under 18s to the development team next season, right? Okay. It's giving then it's giving the club three teams, the first team reserves and development. Class. So we, we're, we're throwing them in. They're only 17, 18 now, but we're, we're putting them in in the men's league next season. So we'll, we'll see how that goes. Oh, that's quality, man. That's quality. How have you found, like, so right now you, you, you said you still coach the U10s at Runnington? Yeah, yeah, still there. Yeah. yeah. How, do you, how do you find the balance of that, like, going from the Dunkirk thing, obviously, to, to U10s? Is, it's a different world. So how do you find the balance? It is. I mean, I coach the reserves on Tuesday, so it's a bit more serious. Okay. Uh, under 10s on a Wednesday and then under 18s on a Thursday. So I'm constantly switching between that serious, fun, slash fun, serious type thing. And it, it, it's, at times it's hard because, you know, when you like with the, the under 10s, nothing serious, you know, especially at the minute. We, it's just playing games and just letting them have game time. Um, but then trying to switch from that to Thursdays when you're trying to hammer down uh, principles of play and stuff like that, it's... It, it does take a lot in your mindset to switch from it, especially when the night before you've done you've done play the game yeah. and you're working on completely different things. It, it's it, it's hard, but it is enjoyable at the same time. Do you and do you do all this full time? Like, do you work as well, or is this what you do? Yeah, yeah, I work as well. What do you do for work? 
I'm a primary school TA slash sports coach. All right, okay. So you said you do that. So I guess it kind of feeds into, at least it kind of feeds into the coaching, I guess, like going through the day and, and doing all that must transition quite well into it. Yeah, it does. I mean, like I said, I teach PE in the afternoon. So it's, it's kind of, you're kind of already in that coaching mindset yeah. by the time you get there anyway. So it, you, not breaking out of that mindset is good because you're constantly in it. That makes sense. No, no, definitely does. Like I, like I said to you, um, I kind of only really the main areas of age I was doing was probably six to twelve. Like I did do the high school team, which was different. Like you're saying, it was a good like balance to go from coaching the kids to then coaching the the older older kind of girls and like having games to plan for, like you said, and, and the session planning's completely different to what you're doing with the U10s. Um, and it's something that I definitely wish I'd done a bit more of is like mix it up like you. I think that what you've got going on is a pretty good idea because at some point you will probably land on which one of the three areas you prefer. I don't know if you've already worked it out yet or not. Uh, do you know what? I, I like all three. I mean, I prefer coaching tactical elements over technical. So to be honest, older, older age groups I do like because uh, I also do, do want to progress into higher levels. But yeah. It's a nice break sometimes when you you know things are so serious. You can go to the under tens and it's a more relaxed environment. I'm not saying that my reserves and under 18s isn't a relaxed environment, but no, you know, yeah, you know you're not you don't want you you know with those you're pushing results and development, but your under tens is a bit more relaxed, a bit more fun. Um, so it is a nice, it's sometimes a nice little switch off a little bit. But would so would you say like but long term are you looking to maybe more focus on the like you said maybe moving up the the levels in terms of the leagues and kind of sticking more so with like having a career in the men's game yeah yeah 100 percent, 100 percent. like so i think with the men's game as well you, you can have a little bit more banter with your players mm. you know you can have a laugh and a joke before and you know if you know let's say you're at half time and you know you're telling someone they've done something wrong and you're coaching them on how to do it differently you know at the end of the game you know you can sit and have a beer in the clubhouse yeah when you're, men's, when you're with men's teams yeah um, so you know everything happens and then you can kind of forget about it but you know with the, with the kids teams it's kind of it's not that important at the end of the day. Not saying yeah. the team is not important, but getting the results is not important for them. So it's a nice little switch off, but I would like, I do like the men's side a little bit more, to be honest. Yeah, that's cool. No, you're right what you say. I know what you mean about the kids. Like it's, there's a, it's a completely different environment. Like what you're trying to create for the kids is, is completely different to what, what you're kind of going for with the, the adults. And I think that like, I was saying there's, there's two types of coaches, right? Like you, you split it up quite well. It was like technical and tactical. And, like, I'm, you know, I always thought where I was in, in America, and I don't know what it's like kind of in, in, in England, um, kind of where you're down at, but there was never really, no one ever really seemed to, like, work out what the coach, what coaches were best for, like, the younger technical kids and what ones were maybe more into the tactical side. It was kind of a lot of a mix. And yep. I always felt that, like, you know, it would be ran, it would not be ran better, but it would be a lot better for the coaches probably and the kids and everyone involved if you worked out who should go where and the technical coaches go with those younger ones and the older ones go with the tactical ones. So I don't know what you found in terms of that where you've been in England. Uh, I think it, do you know what? I think it's kind of the same. I mean, <laughs> just going off topic again, at Runnington, we're putting together at the club a sort of like club DNA and philosophy. Cool. Um, the club wanted to do it for a while, but I, I kind of, I took a step back when I was at training the other night because we've got teams around us and, you know, there's some there's some coaches that you know under 11s, under 12s, and they're going into things that you learn at under 15, under 16. 
Right. And I'm sitting back and I'm thinking, they're not going to understand that. Mm. And I mean, I, I'm, I honestly, I heard one coach a couple of weeks ago, and this couldn't have been, this must have been under 11, maybe under 10. I heard the word counter-pressing mentioned. All right, okay. And I'm like, they're eight, nine years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Why, why? So then I, that's when I came to the idea of the club, like, you know, let, let's put this together. Mm. You know, it, you know, they are doing it out of a good place, but I think it's just giving coaches a bit more education on that that side of it. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're trying to say. Like, there's a, like, I think you hit the nail on the head, really, just the education side of it from the coaches and, like, understanding what certain age groups need what, right? And, and like you say, the younger ones at that age, you're probably spot on. You probably don't really need to be talking with them about that. That probably hits when you get to, like you said, like maybe 14 where, you, where you're playing 11 aside and it's a bit more of a tactical element to it. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, mate. Now, I agree with you. It's, it's interesting. Do you find like it where you're at and you said you kind of came up together to find like a club DNA? Like, do you find that there's a, a lot of big differences in opinions between what everyone thinks should, should happen? Yeah, I think... It's, I mean, that's what, that's what makes football so great as well, you know. Absolutely. And I've always said this about, you know, with, like when you work with mentors and things, like with, when you've got an F, a coach mentor, especially with the English FA, I've found that sometimes they kind of want you to, they all do the same thing. They mm. want you to coach in a certain way. And the way I look at it is, can you imagine how boring it would be if every coach coached the same way? Yeah. Can you imagine the, a coach at under nines coaching the same way that Pep Guardiola does mm. or the same? does you know if they, everyone coaches the same it's boring everyone's got their own style um so that's why that's why i think you know putting this dna together coaches are going to have their opinion which is great because it's a club thing you know we, we want everybody's opinion on what we do moving forward so i kind of as much as some people might shy away from getting an opinion i quite like it because it makes me challenge my own thinking of what absolutely I, I think it's good i think it's really good because like you just said it's completely an opinionated game and what I might think about something, you might think different. And the best part about it is I'm not right or wrong and neither are you. And it's just that you can pull from, you can pull from everyone's ideas. And um, I think that's good because I think sometimes with coaches, we can be a little bit, we could be a little bit egotistical, right? Or, or certainly some of us can be where, you know, you're trying to create something. At the end of the day, everything you are doing, like I, I, Winning, I wouldn't put as a priority really ever for me as coaching. But when I get to the game on a Saturday, even with the U10s, ultimately, deep down, I do want to win. So exactly. there's always that ego side to it. But it's good to, to be able to talk and share your opinions on it. I think as well, if, with that ego side, I think it's important that you, you try to suppress it as well, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, there's been times when I've been coaching with other and the 10 coach. And, you know, with, let's say, I, I remember this one game quite distinct. You know, we lost on penalties in a cup quarterfinal. The kids were distraught. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we, we both looked at each other. We're like a minute to, I think it was about 10 minutes to go. And, you know, we, we looked at each other and thought, you know, we, we could go out and put our strongest players out now and go with this game. But we thought, well, what's the point in that? Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, can you imagine dragging three kids off, putting another three on, winning by two goals? Can you imagine how the other kids would feel? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's important to suppress that. And I think it was a bigger learning curve for them losing on penalties because... They, they kind of understood, not understood why, but they got to see that, you know, they're a team. Yeah, there's absolutely. Not, there's not, yes, there's going to be players that are better than others, but they're a team. Everyone plays their part. And I think that's why I think it's important that when you do have those winning feelings, it's important to suppress them at that age. Yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. 
I do agree with you, and I'm and I'm not disagreeing with you with what I'm about to say. But there are also moments I think when you said that that kind of came to mind for me, where depending on where you're at with the group of kids in the team, where it is okay maybe to do that in that moment because maybe that's what the team needs. But what you just said there, you and your your other coach, obviously you felt like that in that moment for the team, the best lesson to learn was the decision that you went for, which was to not just sub on the better kids and try and win the game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Because it was one of them where, you know, it's also the thing of you don't, you've got to keep parents on side, I think, as well. And, you know, yeah, you can you imagine yeah. that? It was, a, it was a long drive out to the game. It was probably about 30, 40 minutes. Mm. And, you know, can you imagine how a parent would have felt seeing their son being dragged off with 10 minutes to go purely because the coach didn't think he was good enough to stay on and win the game? Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think that's, that's, that's the other thing you have to look at as well. How do you find, how do you find dealing with that on the parent side of things? I mean, I, I'm obviously my, my experiences are, will be different to yours, you know, a little bit, I'm sure, because I was in a different culture. But how have you found that? I'd be intrigued to know, like just dealing with parents. I'll, I'll be honest, my under-10s, in my under-18s, I'm so fortunate to have such a good set of parents. And honestly, like, I don't know if, if, if I share this and anything, and even listen to it. Yeah. But it's a big thank you because they all help out so much. I mean, under-10s, they'll get there. If they, we say meet for half past nine, parents there at nine o'clock, helping oh, set the goals up, set the pitch. That's sure. class, mate. Um, under-18s, parents will be there. You know, if we're organising anything for the lads at the end of the season, under-18s, parents are always chipping in, always putting ideas forward, always supporting the team. They'll always, like with COVID guidance, never had a problem with it, always mm. had, always adhered to it. And I, I'll tell you, I've never had that issue where I've had to deal with parents because the parents that I, that are of my teams are just superb. That's good, man. I mean, that's good to hear that you have, that you've had really positive experiences. I mean, I think that when you're coaching at that level with kids, and you have parents, it's really helpful when the parents do kind of just go along with the coach and they're almost there to help you because the worst thing in the world is when you can tell that you've got a few parents that are not aligned with what you're trying to do. And again, like we said earlier, it's okay. Like I'm not that their opinions are wrong, but it's maybe just a difference of opinion on how like I wanted to coach the team compared to other parents. And it, and, and it was, it was tough to find that balance. So that's really good that you have that. It's hugely important for youth coaches that parents just kind of get on board with you and support you. It is, yeah. I mean, when I first came in at uni with the um, under eight, that was doing the tens of under eights at the time. Um, obviously, you come in, parents are all at training. I'm taking this training session. You do kind of have in the back of your mind, you know, what parents thinking. You know, what what do they think? And to be honest, that, that I never, I've never had to worry about that with them actually because, like I say, they, they're just brilliant and you know they've come in and welcomed me from the start in both teams. To be honest, yeah, mate. You you say obviously that you want to uh, you want to progress up into the men's game, and I'm assuming maybe one day dream of being a coach of a of a of a pro team. Uh, like imagine like we're talking about like sometimes you maybe think about where the parents think in your head. Like I always think this. Like imagine what like Pep Guardiola thinks or you know, Jurgen Klopp or any pro manager, like with that many people watching you compared to like, we're just probably used to like 20 parents. Like the, the, <laughs> pr- the pressure of your mentality has got to be insane. And to be honest, they probably, not that they block the fans out, but you kind of almost have to in a way, right? Or else you're going you're gonna to hear so many different opinions from, from fans of teams that you're, you'd never be able to work out what you wanted to do. Oh, about that, I mean, I've coached in the FA Youth Cup last, uh, well, the season just gone. Um, 
And, you know, the, the under-18s probably played, I'd say, in front of 100 people, at least, mm. around that mark. And, you know, you hear people shouting things from the stands. And I, 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 honestly, you know, you try to bite your tongue. And I don't know how these managers do it with 40,000 people sometimes. Yes. Like, there's just all that 100 people behind me. And you hear someone and you're like, can't say anything, can't say anything. But, yeah, yeah I don't know. I don't know how people do it at times. Like, I know, Especially like pro managers when like 40, 50,000 people. Uh, it takes some skill. Yeah, man, absolutely does. It does. And it's just, it, it always, it always in, intrigued me that when I had maybe a situation with the parent or, or a few other coaches or whatever. And I'm like, I wonder what those guys must think when they're at that level. It must be, it must be absolutely insane. But um, do you, so like with the, with the scouting stuff, man, I wanted to get on that with you. Like how, how did you kind of get into that? Like how long into it are you? Like how much have you done? So I'll be honest, I did um, the Talent ID Level 1 and did that in 2018. It was, a, okay. it was an online course. Then I think it still might be an online I've course. I've done it. Yeah, I've done it. Yeah. Done it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it took, yeah. About, took about three or four hours, I think, because mm -hmm. obviously mm -hmm. I was taking notes. But I did that and I thought, well, we'll see where it takes us. Because, as you know, you see some scouts, you know, voluntary. It, it's only about, they, they, you know, they've got Talent ID Level 1. They're with pro clubs. So I thought, well, I'll do it and then we'll see where we go. Got, obviously did my Level 1 at the time. Um, I just sent out some Talent ID emails and... Um, I, I, I didn't get any responses, to be honest. Right, okay. Whether that was because it was speculative emails, obviously format and the cover letter. I just thought, well, I'll just send it out and see where we go. Um, so this is, what, two two years ago? Okay. Uh, three years ago, even. Um, so I thought, well, we'll see where we go. And I remember about six months down the line, I sent a couple more emails, and I got a phone call from head of academy recruitment at Leicester. Oh, class. And... and phoned him back and we had a chat and he was like yeah definitely we know we want to we want to get you in as like a it was a voluntary scout at the time like mm -hmm. yeah that's fine pre-academy scout bonus that's fine um so i'll get in touch with you next week never heard anything back mm. and this is now a year ago maybe oh wow okay so you still never heard anything back. So, so you know that that kind of i wouldn't say i held it as a grudge but it was kind of i didn't i <laughs> It's not very respectful, you know. If you're telling someone, you know, they want to, they want to bring you on board as a pre-academy scout or and then never hear back. Yeah, yeah, that's poor. So that that wasn't thingy. But then, uh, I think about October, November time, I was just searching, send out more emails again after I got me level two in 2019, and I thought, well, we'll see what we've got. And I came across Sheffield United had a vacancy um, for loads of scouts, and there were about four for my zone. Um, Nottingham, so I thought I'll apply for it. Got an email, um, got offered a voluntary basically role at the weekend. And I thought, you know what? I've been trying for three years. Um, and I, I got it. I've been with Sheffield United now since January. Obviously, I've been able to get out to the games for a couple of weeks. But yeah, it was just a relief. Like, you know, when you've been trying for so long to get yeah. into somewhere, hmm. and, you know, you get close and then Leicester don't ring you back. Yeah. But now, you know, Sheffield United. And do you know what? I've been there, only been there a couple of months, but the team at Sheffield United all the other scouts, everyone's so friendly, so welcoming. That's class, man. So like what, what have you, obviously COVID had an impact on it. So it doesn't sound like you've been able to dive into it deep, deep, but so like what, what have you, what have you had to do so far then? I'm, I'm interested to know. So mainly my role is grassroots scouting. Okay. Not so you're talking under sevens or under 14s, 15s. So it's just a case of going out uh, Saturday, Sunday mornings, going to games, reporting on players, uh, and then obviously, if there's anyone that you like look up that you think of going to the academy, you know, you get permission off managers, parents, and then it goes from there. Um, so it's it's quite a nice role to be fair, because I think as a, as a coach, you can also it's also a chance to go to a football match and kind of sit back and watch a little bit. 
Yeah. And I think coaching wise, it's helped the scouting side mm. as well, if, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it definitely does make sense. And I think you're right about going to watch the games. It gives you a different perspective on on things because when you're coaching, you're in a different mindset when you're standing on, on the sideline. And when you get into the scouting, you, you, like you say, you're a step back from the game, maybe not even amongst the parents, maybe watching a little bit further back. I don't know what your style is or how you do it, but you do definitely see a different angle of the game. And that was why I was like interested in kind of doing it when I first came home because I thought that I still wanted to be involved in football, but I wasn't too sure how. And that seemed exactly what you said from getting a different perspective on it. That seemed like something that like might refresh my kind of passion for it. Um, I, never, I never actually got into anything and kind of thought better of the idea about a month or so later. It didn't interest me as much anymore. But um, what, what are you looking for then when, when you go to, to see a kid? Like what, what, what are the things in your head? So with, with Sheffield United, I'm not, I'm not going to say too much about it. Because yeah, of course. But we yeah. obviously, the club has their own DNA. So you're kind of looking for players based off that DNA. Um, you know, you've got indicators, you've got a guide of what you're looking for. Um, and then it's also down to, you know, what, what spaces are available for what age group. So, mm. you know, it's kind of making sure that you yourself get to know the age groups at the academy. Okay. So, okay. You know, if, you're, if you're going out to a game and you know the under 11s have got, let's say, four strikers, you're probably not going to go and look at an under 11 striker. Right, yeah. Because you've, the, the team's already got four, so they don't need any more. So obviously the club have a list of needs of what positions and what age groups. So it's also adapting that into what you're looking. But then again, but then it's also the thing, you know, if you go to a game and you see an, a striker under 11 that presses well, that can move the ball, has a good first touch, and he's got the qualities you're looking for, it's also the case of, well, actually, let's invite him in. Mm. Let's invite him into one of our centres and see what, see what happens from there. So it's a mix, it's a mix of both of us kind of, what the club want, but then also, you know, do you see anything? Yeah, no, that makes sense. What you, you've used the word, I'd be interested to know, I hope I'm not putting you on the spotlight, because um, I always had this, this discussion with my mates and my brother who was a coach. Like, when you say DNA, like, what, what does that mean for you? Like, in terms of, I don't mean specifically to, to maybe Sheffield United or whatever, but when you're, when you're kind of doing it, like, what does that mean to you? I think it's a, it's a bit of a difference from grassroots to academy. I think academy, you look at, I can't think, to be honest, from my experience, academies are what the club wants. So, you know, let's say a manager comes in, let's take Stoke, for example. Stoke, yeah. what, what, what Stoke's natural play style, they've always gone for big players who can hold the ball up, got height, got strength, you know, and they can grapple. Mm. So, it, you know, Stoke are probably going to look for academy players who are a bit bigger than the rest, more physical, um, and then, you know, could hold the ball up and things like that. Whereas I think if you go with grassroots, like we'll say what I'm putting together, I think it's more on the enjoyment side, making sure kids enjoy it and develop it, if that makes sense. So I think it's a mix of what the club wants at a pro level compared, or an academy level compared to grassroots of, you know, the basic foundation of enjoyment, development kind of thing. Yeah, no, that makes, that makes perfect sense to me. That's exactly when, when you were saying that, that that was what was coming into my head. So um, how, how do you think, like, this kind of... Asking you that question got me thinking about it. I mean, I, I, I've, again, been looking at your Twitter a little bit. Like, how do you think social media is kind of helping, like, coaches like yourself? Because I'm, I'm 27. I'll almost be 28. So, like, Twitter, when I was 20, wasn't – I'm going to sound like I'm so old here. I don't know. This, I'm only 27. But Twitter wasn't, Twitter wasn't used how it is now, if that makes sense. 
yeah, so yeah. I'm intrigued from your point of view of, of being on it. Like, how do you think that's helped? Like, all, all everything to do, your coaching, your scouting, whatever else it may be. Uh, it's helped loads. It's helped loads. Like, the amount of contacts that I built up mm. um, through, through Twitter. I mean, I'm in a group at the minute. We call it a coach's huddle. Uh, it's run by edge of play coach. I'm going to give him a shout out here. James uh, Stokes. Is, um, love that. Um, so, James, if you're watching... Yeah, cheers for this, mate. Um, he runs a, a company called Edge of Play Coaching, and he is like a coach's call, a coach's huddle every Friday. Cool. And um, I've not been able to get on loads because I'm working, but when I'm off, it's nice to go on a video call. It's just it's more of a relaxed mates type atmosphere where it's not serious. It's just there. You have a laugh and a joke. You talk about football. You talk about coaching. But like I said, you have a laugh, and it's not so serious. It's quite nice. And I think through that, I've probably made, what, at least 10 different more network contacts through that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah whether they're grassroots or academy or scouts, whatever. Um, so yeah, Twitter, Twitter's big. I, that's why I like to stay on it. Anyone follows me on Twitter, you know I'm uh, very passionate about football. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's it's been good. It's been good. That I think that's really good, man. And I think that it's uh, it's cool to hear that stuff like that's going on because at the end of the day, with like anything in, in life, it's it's who you know, not what you know, right? And like social media and Twitter's particularly to get kind of thoughts across has been like really good for that. There's loads of bad things about it, which everybody knows. And of course, but what you just mentioned, there's a huge pro to it because you're, you would never have that if you didn't have, you know, you would never have met, never met half the people or any of the people that you're talking about in that group. And you never know where those connections could go down the line. And that's what it's all about. So that's really cool. And I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed using it from the point of view of finding people like you, who, like you say, passionate about football. I got that from your Twitter page, right? Um, so it's uh, it's been really cool to use it. And I'm I'm glad that I'm glad things like that are happening. Do you, do you use anything else? Like you sign up to any websites or anything like that, or you, you just kind of get what you're given? Yeah, I mean, I'm on um, Coaches Voice Academy. Yeah, uh, a lot of coaches, a lot of coaches on that. It's kind of a generic one. But I, I applied for a job there actually. So oh, did you? See if I, yeah, yeah, they I were. Yeah, good luck. They, they were looking at, they were just looking for someone to kind of like edit some videos and do some social media stuff, which is kind of what I'm doing with this. So I applied for it. I like their videos and stuff. Sorry to cut yeah. you off there though. Yeah, carry no, on. No, it's good luck with that. Yeah, um, carry on. Cheers. Yeah, so Coach's Voice, Planet Coach, another one. I've been, I've been using Planet Coach for about three years and I just, I can't not use them because they've just, they've got some good stuff on there. Wow. Uh, and then, it, you know, there's some Facebook and Twitter groups as well um, that I'm on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's really good, man. That's really good. I, yeah. Uh, yeah, I like the coach's voice. I always found that towards the end of my time, I was kind of, I was losing the passion in the coach a little bit. Like I, I found that, but like during that time, when I started to find all these pages, you know, similar ones that you're talking about and some different ones like Keep It On The Deck and that that's on Facebook, like they definitely are really helpful to kind of like just give you a little bit more inspiration for some like session ideas when you see different videos. I always found that that it was, it was good to keep it fresh. I don't know how you find it with the little ones, but I feel like you get yourself into a routine after a while of what you're doing. And it's really important, especially with the kids, you know, to make sure you're mixing up as much as possible. I can't remember who I, uh, who I read this about just yesterday. It was a pro coach somewhere, an assistant coach at one of the big teams. I forget where it was. I'll try and remember. But um, they basically said that his big thing with his coaches is that they can never repeat a session twice. And I just thought that was brilliant. Yeah. I'm, I'm not, yeah. I think... <sighs> I think on the other hand with that though, is you know, if you've got, let's say, you know, you're doing compactness with 
older players. Okay. If you've got a set, like if you've got a session that works really, really well, I think as long as you don't use it, let's say twice in three months. Yeah, I'm with I think you. It's always one to use down the line again, isn't it? Just just to reinforce principles. But no, I know what you mean, especially with kids. If you if you use a session twice, um, and then they get they they know what it is. They, with kids, they will get bored of it. And they, they always they will, get bored of it. And they will tell you. <laughs> yeah, no, the kids will tell they you. They'll tell. let you know. Yeah, you'll you'll know if, if you've been doing something too much because the kids will will literally say it to you. But now, I liked your point on you can have a you can kind of have like a session that you enjoy, a session that you think works really well and does well. And like you say, as long as you don't use it too often, um, it's always good to go back to. And like you know, if you're using it every couple of months, like you suggested, you'll probably be a bit of a better coach hopefully in those two months, and you can tweak it a little bit to make it even better. But I totally get what you mean. Like I'm sure every or a lot of coaches that like if, if they hear this or, or watch this, they'll probably agree that they probably do have their main ones they go back to and you do kind of try and progress and improve it. So I think that's a good point. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, so I don't know if there's anything else you want to cover, man, on kind of the coaching side of the game or the scouting side. I quite enjoyed just kind of hearing your thoughts and kind of going off track a little bit. But I would like to chat to you certainly about Nottingham Forest and everything before we wrap up. But is there anything you yep. think we've we've missed on the coaching side of things? I think we I think we've covered everything. To be fair, I think uh, like I say, going off tracks covered a lot as well. Yeah, it has. Yeah, no, it's been good. It's good. I've been able to kind of get like roughly how you kind of think about football a little bit through just kind of having that little bit of a conversation. And um, I'm sure if there's any coaches that listen to this, they'll get a few ideas or it'll make some things click with them in their head. That's why. Uh, that's what I'm trying to do with the, with the podcast. I'm going to have people on like yourself, coaches or players, is just kind of maybe like turn a light bulb on maybe in someone's head. They're like, oh, yeah, I do do that. Or I would like to do that. And I try and do that. It's just I think it helps massively when you hear someone else talk about it. Yeah, I mean, I, I've had like some coaches that have DM me on Twitter before asking for advice. And I kind of feel as though like, well, I've only been coaching for three years and, mm. you know, I'm only level two, I think. I start to think, well, is it right if I give them any advice? Because I'm not going to, I don't know everything. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know everything, but I've, I've not been there. I've not been there, seen it, done it. I've not I've been around for coaching for a while. So mm. it is kind of humbling when people ask you for stuff. I mean, on the other hand as well, like just, just on podcasts like this, I think it, it helps um, because like I say, people can listen to it. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, you know, it's not that direct advice. Like I say, it could be a liable moment. Yeah, it could be a light bulb moment. And like we were talking about with, with Twitter and stuff earlier, like I, I think podcasts are a great area for like learning um, and it's really good. And obviously the main, the main ones, whatever genre it is you listen to, are always like big, big names or people that have made it big. And I, I, the thing I like about doing this is just speaking to someone like yourself that's kind of like on the ground level of the grassroots stuff that is starting out in coaching. It's just cool to get your perspectives. And if I was a 20 year old coach when I was 20 and there was a bunch of podcasts I could listen to about coaching that would help me get better as a coach I would yeah, have absolutely without, binged them yeah yeah without a doubt without yeah. a doubt quality man so yeah so talk to, talk to me about Forrest then just talk to me about be, being a fan because like I said to you I'm, I'm, I'm a Liverpool fan and I've been in the I've been in the Prem bubble for the whole time I've supported them really I mean I, I do try and watch as much other football as I possibly can Living in the States for eight years made that a little bit more difficult because it's not as accessible um, as, it, as it is here. So, yeah, I just wanted intrigued to hear about being a Forest fan and talking about the level and everything. Well, where do I start? Mm. <laughs> where do I start? Yeah. I mean, for, for, I had no choice 
um, supportive forest. Like I, I, I genuinely had no choice. It was in the family. Um, I, I haven't been here. I haven't been supporting Forest through the, the good times, should we say? Right. Okay. Okay. <laughs> After absolutely. The last few years, I mean, uh, we've we've been in the championship for what? You've got to be talking near on fifteen years now. Has it been that long? Uh, with what? I think two thousand and seven, two thousand six, seven. I think. Yeah, because I can't. I can't really remember Forest being in the Prem too much. So you must be right about. It. Yeah, that's a long time, man. I remember, and I, t- I remember. The day we went up to the championship. Uh-huh. So I think I was about seven at the time. Um, sat in a pub in Skegness. <laughs> right, okay. <laughs> Not very glamorous. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I can remember we were winning like we were winning like three one. I think Port Vale like scored um, against us three two three to make it three two about ten minutes left. Um, we needed Doncaster to lose. Mm. It was nil nil. Um Doncaster ended up conceding with about a minute to go. Right. Um, so we went up. Um obviously you know, being a Forest fan in Skegness near Lincoln, <laughs> it was yeah. um, it's it's the holiday destination for Midlanders. So you've got yourself, <laughs> Lincoln, you've got Notts County fans, you've got Derby fans sat around you. Like, yeah. Even though I was seven, because it was the highlight of supporting Forest over the last over my lifetime, it just sticks with you. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I actually lived there. I lived with a guy that was from like um was from Gainsborough. So I don't know if that's down there. He always talks about Skegness anyway. So. I definitely, yeah. I, I can picture Skegness from, from all the stories he's been telling me. But, <laughs> like, it, it's mental, man, because, and obviously there's, there's been this whole, like, Super League uh, chat going on over the last month and everything about, about all the, the quote-unquote big clubs, which is just an absolute embarrassment because Nottingham Forest are a big club, right? Um, even though maybe haven't been in the Prem for a long time. But football, football changes. I mean, Forest, for me... I grew up with like, you know, my, my uncle and stuff telling me about like the Brian Clough teams and like watching the documentaries and wanting to be a coach, like watching the damned United and things like that about Clough and going to Forest. So I've definitely got like a, I'm sure, like everyone in football does, apart from maybe some, some Derby fans or something, but sure everyone's got a bit of a soft spot for Forest. Uh, yeah, I, I like to think so. I mean, it's a, uh, Forest one of them, like if you go back to the Clough days, like for fans like me, that were born, let's say, 90s, maybe. Maybe, yeah. maybe later. let's say even 2000s. It's hard for us to associate with the Brian Clough days because we missed them. Of course, yeah. We missed them at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, you know, European Cups, you know, it's nice to celebrate them when you get your anniversaries and stuff. Uh, I think last, last year, uh, 2019 was like a 45th anniversary or something like that. 45th, 45th, 50th anniversary. Okay. And they did this massive um, celebration in the car park, got all the legends on stage, which was a fantastic day. I mean, Kenny Burns was absolutely hammered and so was John Robertson. Oh, quality, quality. <laughs> but no, they, they, they were there and it's hard, but, you know, you're there celebrating as a club, but it's hard for you to relate to it because you're like, well... You're in the championship, not yeah. winning anything. Yeah. You know, yeah, and you know, yeah. being born in 2000, I, I've not, not known any of those days. All I've got is the stories and the TV clips. Yes, yeah, yeah. So as much as it's like, you know, it is your history of the club, you know, you're not going to forget about it. It's hard to relate to it because, you know, if you're in a debate, let's say you sat in the club having a debate with people and you go, you're a Forest fan, okay? All you've got is the two European Cup story and then you're like, right, what else have I got? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, there's, not, there's <laughs> okay, nothing yeah. there. Yeah, we won some FA Cups and League Cups. Okay, then you go back to the, right, what else have I got? And you yeah. look from last 25 years, like... There's not a lot. I mean, I do a... I was going to say a similar level. I guess I guess it's maybe a bit of a different level. But, I mean, Liverpool, for me, 
obviously this is the first league title we've won in 30 years. I'm 27, so I've never seen us win a league title. Like, maybe not, I'm not, you know, saying it's the same as Forrest being in the championship, but, you know, I was the same growing up. It was like few few FA Cups here and there, league cups, not quite winning the title. And you hear all these stories of Liverpool and, you know, Sunes and Dalglish, but same as you, I'd never relate to that because, Liverpool haven't been at that level for a very, very long time. So I totally get what you're saying to maybe a little bit of a different level. It is. And I mean, Forest haven't been the most stable club off the pitch over the last few years. I mean, right. we've got Olympiacos as owner in now. Um, so is that who you've got, is it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Evangelos Maranakis. Um, right. So we're pretty much sister club of Olympiacos. The problem you have with that is once you get the player that plays well. They're going there. Yeah. Thiago Silva last season signed a five-year deal on a three. Cracking season, he's gone. Really? Yeah. Just and straight up, know, you, we're, we're sending it to Galatasaray. <laughs> just, I'll just check. Uh, I can't, my phone's died. I don't know if he's at Olympiacos. I can't, I'll have I can't. a look. I'll have a look for you, mate, while you're talking. Thiago Silver, his name is. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, out before Maranakis, we had a guy in um, called Fawaz Alasawi. Okay. Jesus, they were dark days. Oh, yeah? How, how were they? Why were they you so know, bad? He, he comes in um, and he's like, he gives all this big thing that owners do, like, I want to take the club to the next level of the Premier League, blah, 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 blah. And you think, okay, yeah, we've been here, we've seen this before. And he comes in, he's got all this money. And um, he does this interview with uh, BBC, not, BBC Nottingham. It's on TV. It's Midlands today. You can watch it. On, it's, it's still on YouTube. You can go and watch it. Right. Uh, and it takes you around his house. And on, on, the, uh, on his wall of his house, he's got murals. Like, the whole wall is England winning the 1966 World Cup. This is in Kuwait. Um, okay. he's got one with Forrest lifting the first European Cup and you think this guy might actually care about the club you know he's, he's, he's obviously he's obviously interested why would you just have that on your wall yeah and he starts bringing in these players and he, he, you see like you know he's got a Nottingham Forest Football Academy in Kuwait he then brings in uh, the I think it was is it Falcao the futsal player okay yeah yeah Somehow ends up playing a game for Forest Futsal team. No idea how that happens. What? I can, I can, I can I, no idea. Yeah. You then get this goalkeeper come in, the first Kuwaiti player to play in England. Right. And thinking, where's all this coming from? And then you dig deeper, and you you, you look at his fortune, and his uh, refrigerator, uh, air conditioning tycoon. Is that what he was? You're thinking, okay. And you know, it starts getting to. Players haven't been paid. Mm. And then these players coming in that you're thinking, we can't afford these type of players. You know, we're signing a centre-back called Kevin Gomez at the time from Ren, I think he was, in France. So, mm. Liga, Liga 1, coming yeah. to the Championship. Yeah. You're like, hang on a minute. And then it gets to the point where actually he hasn't got the money that he thinks he's got. And it turns out it's a, all those murals in his house were a lie. He just paid for them. For really? The um, for Christ's sake he brings back Billy Davis and you're thinking okay someone who, who nearly got promoted to the Premier League and that that fell through again mm. and then you know you start getting managers come in you know Stuart Pearce comes in start yeah. off well turned into a disaster mm. and it gets to the point where you think actually this, this guy doesn't care about the club as it is and I, I remember to this day the day he sold up loads of Forest fans went to the ground and just protest and they must have been there for like three days really and he just wasn't budging and it got to the point where if we didn't find a buyer soon 
the club was in trouble. Yeah, you were going down. And that's when Maranakis came in and took it over. And he steadied the ship a little bit. I'm not going to say that he's done brilliantly, but it's it's looking better than it was under, um, under Asali. A lot better. That's good, mate. That's uh, I mean, that's good. It's it it's shit to hear that because, like I said before, like I've got a soft spot for Forrest because of the because of the rich history that you've had. Um, so I mean, it's tough, eh? Because football's just kind of become that with, with owners. Like even I felt like with FSG that they understood the club and the values, and they've had a couple of little iffy moments. They tried to raise ticket prices and everything, and people have protested. And then the whole Super League was a big moment where I was like. Uh, like, if you have cared as much about the club as you've kind of promoted in your marketing and everything like that, you would have known that that was a terrible idea to do as Liverpool Football Club. So, oh, without, without I mean, and, and yeah, like, you know, I know Spirit of Shankly have like met with them and it seems like the talks have gone well and they're reasonably happy and there's going to be a bit of restructuring and I'm cool with that, but I don't know if the relationship between me as a fan and them will ever go back to being what it was when we won the Prem and the Champions League in the last couple of years. Like, I had a lot of admiration for them, but I don't know, it's a shame, man, because ultimately football's become a business for for everybody, and especially these guys, and it's really hard, if not impossible, to find someone that's got that much money that really, truly cares about your club. I agree. Um, my mate, um, he, lives, he, lives in, he lives in Nottingham as well. Uh, he's a Liverpool fan. He's, okay. goes, he's got a season ticket, he's home and away. Yeah, he went to the two Champions League finals. Um, obviously, the one and then lost them one. Um, and he, when this Super League was announced, he was borderline sending an email to the club basically saying, cancel my season ticket. Yeah. My uncle's a Chelsea fan. He was borderline like cancelling memberships. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just, just because it, it just changed you. And I mean, I'm always in that mindset now of, you know, I hope, I hope fans remember this. I think they will. You know, the club's turned their back on you. Yeah. Not necessarily saying turn you back on them, but just remember it. Yeah, don't don't forget it. Don't forget it. Yeah, Yeah, next time you buy a shirt or next time you buy a ticket, don't forget what they did. Not saying don't go because you know people will still go because it's the club. But just remember what they did. Of course, and it's don't. You know, I had this debate. I, I think I did a podcast on actually my brother and a couple of friends, and it was like will we just all forget about it when they sign us the next 200 million pound player, right? And we go on and win those next trophies. And I agree with you. I think it's important to, you can still enjoy it, still go, you know, but remember, like you say, remember what they've done and just kind of like, don't, don't kind of forget it. But it's just a shame, man. I mean, I'm kind of bored of the Super League chat stuff, but just to hear that from a, from someone that support supports Forrest and, and, and a team that's in the championship, I mean, if if you were being honest with me, whether it's this owner or a different owner, like do you see hope for Forrest in terms of being able to get back up into the Prem and, and kind of taking it from there? Or what's your thoughts? I hope so. I mean, I don't know. Did you see much of Forrest last season under Lamucci? I, I did not, mate. I did not see a lot of championship football up until probably this season's the most I've watched in a while. So we were, we were last season, I'll be honest, we were flying. Okay. Up until COVID, we were absolutely flying, you know, Top three, we're in the playoffs, we're, we're steadying, we're winning games. We're not playing teams off the park, but we're doing what we need to do. You know, That's good. Um, I remember I remember beating, we beat Stoke 3-2 on a Friday night to go top of the league. Cool. Um, Sammy Amiobi, of all players, was the best player on the pitch. <laughs> yeah, Sammy um, start, You're starting to think, hang on a minute, this is only early on in the season, but we look good. Yeah. COVID uh, comes out, you know, we come back, first game back, we, we, we play well, we, we, we're getting results. And then all of a sudden, 
just it was just a we played, beat Huddersfield like three one I think on a Sunday and it was just bang that was it just down spiral obviously mm. we beat Leeds two nil um, which you can that game was unbelievable right, um, and yeah. then, then lose to Charlton on the Tuesday night <laughs> yeah which I was at it was like minus five the win was Baltic we lose one nil to Charlton Lyle Taylor scores it was horrible mm. but we yeah. start going downwards and you know last game of the season we're playing we're playing Swansea no no. I can't remember who we were, I, I generally can't remember who we were playing now. But we needed we basically even if we lost, there was a goal difference gap of five. Right. So we'd need to lose like five nil and Swansea would need to draw nil nil or something like that. Thinking, yeah, yeah. Okay, we should be able to pull through this. Swansea win three nil, we end up losing three one and we drop out the playoffs on the last day. Oh, disaster. And you're like, How the hell have we managed that? Mm. And that's when you start to think, Yeah, this club's cursed. Yeah, yeah, you're just like <laughs> it's not it's never gonna happen. I mean, we, yeah. we lost. We lost like two 0 to Barnsley at Oakwell. I'm like, what is going on here? Yeah, yeah, just kind of fell apart a little bit. That, that's that's a shame to hear, man. But it's, uh, I mean, I don't know. And, and the Championship's a gr- brutal league. Like it's a grueling season. I mean, you hear the Premier managers complaining about the games they've got to play. I mean, Championship is literally three games a week for the whole season. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, and you look at the amount of teams that have gone into Championship and now they're in League One from the yeah. Premier League. You know, um, Wigan were down there. Sunderland, Hull, mm. Mm. and you know, Port, I know Portsmouth went through a bad spell, but they they dropped right down. Yeah, uh, like you say, it's it's a difficult league to get out of. Once you're in it, if you don't get out in that first season, it's to tough. Get back, to get back, you you're gonna struggle. Yeah, I, I agree with you, man. I agree with you. Um, well, I'd like to finish off by asking you then your expectations on Forest for next year. Then, I mean, what what would be, for your opinion, what would be good for Forest? Like, what would you be happy with? After this season, geez, well, I mean, with Hewton in charge, if the recruitment side's right, which I don't hold high hopes for because it never is a forest. Okay. Um, realistically, I'd be happy with the top 10 finish. Okay, all right. But I think for a club of our size, with the players that we can pull in, the manager we've got, there's no excuse for us not getting the playoffs. Okay, okay, okay. So you, take, you would take top 10, but... Oh, that's a bold one, but um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you take top ten, but if you but playoffs in terms of the club size is uh, is where you'd like to be. I mean, I think that I think that's fair. You're what? I just had to look. You're four. I think you're fourteenth at the moment, or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're fourteenth. So and uh, so yeah, I, I mean, I think that's a that's a fair evaluation. If you can break break into that top ten and maybe have a wee push for a playoff spot, then uh, that wouldn't be a terrible season. Do you like Chris Hutton? I do, I do. Um, it's, I think it's one of them with Hewton. I mean, th- when he took over the squad, he had, was, I mean, some of the players, you, see, you think, you look at them, and, and no offence to them, but you think, how the hell are they playing in the championship? Yeah, yeah. But really, I mean, but you, you know, you've got players to build up, like Joe Worrell um, went to Rangers on loan. He's come back, best, best I've ever seen him play. Mm. Alex Martin's coming through. Obviously, we lost Matty Cash, that was a big blow. Yeah, he's um, good, he's good. There's, there's, a, there's a good squad to build up, and I think, you know, he's got to bring the right players in. Everyone moaned about it when he brought Glenn Murray in, but I thought, you know what? You know, you, at the, the point we were in, when we were still in the relegation fight, you need players in. Yeah. That, for that season can just do you a job. Yeah, agreed. You know, he came in, Kravinovich came in, uh, that James Garner from Manu came in, and they just did a job. And I think next season's a time when you go, right, I think it now gets to the point when it's, it's a Wolves situation. Yeah. It's either Premier League or bust now. You know, 15 years mm. is long enough. Mm, yeah, no, mate. I hear you. It's a long time, and if you can get up into the prem again, then obviously that would be that would be amazing. But 
Lewis, I think we've 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 had a good chat. I think we've covered a lot of what I kind of had in my head that I wanted to cover, and even more than that, I thought the coaching part was a really good discussion. I enjoyed it hearing from you in the scouting, and then kind of finishing off with the four stuff. There was uh, was good. I enjoyed that. Have you got anything else that you maybe want to talk about before we wrap up, or are you I good? Think co- I think we've covered everything. I think it's perfect, <laughs> man. Else I can think of. Perfect, mate. Well, like I said to you before, um, I'll hit um, stop in a second on recording, but we'll stay on and chat for a couple of minutes. But thanks a lot for uh, for doing this with me, mate. I appreciate it. And I hope that, you know, if anyone listens to it that's, that's coaching or just likes football, that they get a little something out of it. I think they will from, from our wee conversation there. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. Thanks for having me on. I've enjoyed it. No worries, man. Um, I'll hit stop now. Um, but thanks again, Lewis. And uh, hopefully we'll do it again soon. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Perfect, man. Cheers. Mm-hmm.